Welcome to Monster Porn, Weird Fiction and Horror Podcast. The podcast whose fursuit is human. Today's story is Some Personas Are Ancient by Brett Norwood. Hey, man. Oh, it looks like you're going on a hike. Oh, why are there Barbie doll parts sticking out of your backpack? I'm going to see the river beast. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. I'm going to receive wisdom about how Puggles, or the desolator of Abath Knoth, rather, who has parasitized the hearts of your family in the guise of a teacup pig, how he might be exercised back into the dead realms from which he came. About that. I've got an idea I want to run by you. Where is he now? He's still in that crate box thing that you built to hold him? Yes, the Ark of Solomon. Good. Very good. Actually, I, I brought him here. He's out in the car right now. Ah. So then, the idea. Does it involve the Elder Grimoire of the God King Wenceslaus? No, no, I don't, I don't think so. But how about this? Puggles is getting something out of us doing the podcast. Uh, the memories is still a little bit foggy, but I'm pretty sure he put the idea in our heads the day that you summoned him. Way back in teaser episode one. Yeah, and, and so what if we get someone else to write for him? I'm not saying we just pass the leech to suck somebody else dry, but... You know, what if it lets us stand back from the situation enough to figure out what Hamhead gets out of the Monster Porn podcast? Who will we get? It's a lot of work. Yes, uh, so let's start simple. There's this thing going around the internet with uh, two-sentence horror stories. I think we should put out a call for them, and then we read them in front of Puggles and see what he does. If he gets excited, then we can offload him on some poor sucker. I mean, uh, contributor. I'll put out the call for submissions. We probably need a story to tide him over until then. Do you have one? Yes. Go get your club and hooved abomination out of the car and make sure he hears this. I didn't have nightmares about furries until I met Dart Silverfox. I've since learned his birth name, but honestly, I wish that I hadn't. Dart was covered in shining pewter fur, except for the tuft of gunmetal fur that stuck up from his chest above his black t-shirt, and the close-cropped mohawk on his massive, cartoon-eyed head. That black t-shirt had only the word creeper on it, in a blood-dripping horror font. I would later learn it was a band from the UK, but it was still creepy. On his fur-sleeved wrist, he had a studded bracelet. With his fursuit, he could have stepped right out of a video game or a cartoon. When my family moved to Oak Heights, 
Invariably, one of the first things our new neighbors would bring up to my parents would be the kids who played dress-up. These neighbors were also quick to say that their kid was not one of them. They just wanted to warn us that we would inevitably witness a gang of young people haunting the suburb, its ravines and culverts and playgrounds dressed up like cartoon animals, and in the same utterance distance their family from them. They do weird things, the Tolson's dad explained, as if wearing a fursuit in public when not working as a mascot didn't already suggest as much. They probably think it's funny, Mrs. Jacoby speculated. Karen Osgood from down the street whispered to my mom, I hear they do sex things. It's so weird. What are kids these days even? The path from Yosemite High came back through Oak Heights along the ravine. The dead autumn grass was dotted with shrubs. There's a spot along the rim of the ravine behind the backyard fences where there was a bench. I sat and stared at nothing. Occasionally, I would look down the block to the park where a swing set and seesaw and some bouncing animal rides peeked out among the pine trees. The whole neighborhood looked like a Tide commercial. White, prefabricated, often vinyl fences were the castle walls of endless mid-2000s ranch-style homes. The earth-toned peaks of their roofs rolled like the crests of waves over the hills. Now and then a dog barked. The clouds drifted overhead. My eye followed a crow through the air toward the playground. Between the pine trees, half hidden behind the nearer tree, a fursuiter stood perfectly still. White, cartoon eyes pointed at me. The silver fox, I would learn, was Dart, their gang's leader of sorts. My heart jumped into my throat. I couldn't look away. He didn't move for a full fifteen or so seconds until, taking his time, he raised his hand to his side and slowly waved. His jaw went a little slack. I didn't even imagine they could do that. Showing a bit of pink tongue, black gums, and white teeth. I got up stiffly and went back the way I came. I was so creeped out that I decided to cut back toward home by going over a couple of blocks on the street. I told my parents and sister, Auburn, and this sparked another round of kids these days among them. Auburn was a kid, 13 at the time, and even she swore the weird fox kid off, shaking her head just like mom and dad. The first time I saw them all at once was also at the neighborhood park. As far as I could tell from the walking path, they were just running around in circles, and I wondered if they were high or something. There were four of them. I couldn't tell what they all were yet, but one of them was neon colors. Keeping my nose pointed down at the path, but watching them under my brow, I proceeded along the ravine. I was about to pass the sewer cover and get onto the street, and I thought, good, they aren't paying any attention to me. I'll just slip right on by, but maybe I can get a good look at what they're doing. That's when Dart stopped running in circles with the others and saw me. Again, he just stared and I tried to pretend that I didn't notice. But then the others must have wondered why Dart stopped and they followed his gaze toward me. I pulled my jacket tighter and hurried down the street pretending I didn't see them. I'll just act like there's nothing weird, I thought. I'll be on my own block soon. As I met my street, 
I turned to look over my shoulder. The four furries stood in a line in the street watching after me. There was Dart Silver Fox, and another fox, a big-eared sand fox, a milk cow with a rainbow mohawk, and a neon dog or something that was magenta and electric blue. I'm pretty sure they're going to murder me, I told my mom. Uh-huh, my mom mumbled as she flicked through hotel options on her iPad, which was blasting a tinny early 2000s alt-rock ballad. I'm serious right now, I said, rolling a grapefruit back and forth on the dining table. I can tell you're totes traumatized, my mom said, still not looking up. Mom, nobody says totes anymore. Okay, I'll stop, she said. I will totes my goats stop. Check yourself. Get wrecked, she said, echoing my friend's catchphrase of two years ago with dry irony. I groaned. You're as uncool as the sun's butt, I told her, and left the table to play a game on my phone on the sectional. When Dad got home, he came down heavily on the other end of the creaking leather of the couch, with his iPad in his hands. Not looking at me, but having apparently talked to Mom, he said, So, do you want to start carrying some mace? After a couple of seconds, he snorted at his own sense of humor. I quit walking on the path by the ravine for a while then, so as to avoid passing inside of the park. I went down the streets instead after school. On an overcast afternoon, I was somewhere by the Regan's house when I heard footsteps behind me. I hadn't seen anyone around. There was a crow calling somewhere, and it was late enough in the fall that the branches were all naked. It was quiet otherwise, like it was about to rain. I had my hood up and tried not to look. I walked faster. The sneakers behind me went a little faster, too. When I slowed down and looked to see behind me, there was something like a teal and purple griffin with big white wings, and his face was like an owl. He stopped and flapped. In shock, I also stopped walking and stared, and he cooed at me like a pigeon. We had something of a staring contest. I had no way of winning against the softball-sized jet-black eyes, plastic eyes that never blink. I couldn't make up my mind whether to say something or just turn and leave, but before I could, the owl-faced griffin flapped again and pretended to fly away into someone's yard, cooing the whole way. I thought there just must be something wrong with this world, like people were eating detergent or something. Or even why this neighborhood? Was the cell tower microwaving our brains? How were they not embarrassed by what they were doing? Didn't they realize they were creeping everybody out? When I did start taking the path again, Dart was on the bench over the ravine, one arm resting along the seat back puffy tail hanging out under the armrest. I tried to sneak by. I was certain he wouldn't see me with that head on, if I could only make it by him quietly. So I walked on the outsides of my soles. To my terror, he turned, 
Hi, I said weakly, still hoping to pass by. Hi there, he said comfortably. I've been waiting for you. What? I said. My voice cracked a little. He was looking out over the ravine again. Silver-blue, heavy-looking clouds were passing low behind the rooftops. You used to come by this way after school all the time, he said. I thought I'd say hi. You're new to this neighborhood, aren't you? It's Dart. Dart Silverfox. He rose gingerly from the bench and turned to me. He was offering his paw to shake. Um, Caden, I told him. I shook his paw. My hand was engulfed in what felt like a giant fuzzy slipper. After shaking my hand quite formally, he then bowed, full of gallantry. A pleasure to meet you, Caden, he said. He was tall, at least to me. I hadn't realized. It's a good spot, isn't it, he said, looking out over the ravine. My friends are coming, he said, looking now at his wrist, which did not have a watch on it, at least outside the fursuit. Oh, I said. Would you like to come down to the park? Gypsum is bringing a frisbee. I've got homework, I said, not lying. Oh, that's terrible, he said. I'm sorry. Uh, yes, was all I could say to that. I was watching how his mouth moved when he talked, straight up and down like a ventriloquist dummy. Just then someone called from down the path. The others had come onto the path from the street. Seeing Dart, one of them, the cow, began to run and Dart Silverfox met her and they hugged a big hug. Then the others caught up and exchanged hugs with Dart. I had to find a way around this menagerie. I kept my eyes down and just planned on waving a casual goodbye to Dart and slipping right by. But the cow wondered aloud, Who is your friend, Dart? And before I knew it, she was hugging me, pinning my arms to my sides. Somehow they got me down to the park where I sat with them at a picnic table. Dart had told them my name, and they made their introductions. There was Alessia Sandfox, sitting next to Dart. The cow with the mohawk was Daphne Boos. The griffin with the owl face called himself Waylon, but the others called him Pretty Bird. Finally, there was some sort of neon magenta dog with bat wings. Her name was Gypsum Rose. What are you, then, exactly? I wondered. A dragon coyote, she answered in a terrified cartoon voice. A dragon coyote, I echoed. With sparkle dog elements, Gypsum added. She's the fiery one, Pretty Bird told me. They just can't handle all this spirit, she said. They had big cartoon eyes in their oversized heads, and all those eyes had an eerie way of following me. The trick behind it was kind of clever. The eyes were recessed enough that different amounts of white would show depending on the angle they looked at you. But only Dart's mouth moved when he spoke. However, when he was around the others, I found that he rarely spoke. They chattered about video games and sometimes movies. Dart only weighed in when it fell to him to do so. A usually authoritative yet 
kind gravity in his sandy voice. Just to say something, because I knew I was being quiet and was extremely uncomfortable, I said of Dart, So is he the, uh, the emo one, then? This made Gypsum and Pretty Bird laugh. Alessia Sandfox answered me. Her tone was warm but humorless. Dart is a fur of deep thoughts. And we, on the other paw, are furs of big mouths, Gypsum laughed. Dart's the one who opened her eyes to this lifestyle, you know. Actually, Alessia was the only one of us who did this before meeting Dart. And I wondered, why exactly do you do this? The $800 million question, chirped Pretty Bird, and he belly laughed. I'll tell you why I do this, Gypsum came back quickly. As she spoke, she kept tilting her head for emphasis, which made it look like her special effect eyes were fixed on yours as she gesticulated with animation. Yes, let me tell you. This, she tapped the temples of her fursuit head, this lets me be, be who I want to be, who I'd want to be rather than who I am, who I am pressured to be and expected to be, who has responsibilities I never asked for. It's freeing. In this skin, she gripped up and down her fursuit's breast. I can be exactly who I want. It's liberating. Gypsum is, don't get me wrong, a character, you know, that I created. But still, it's kind of funny that a mask can feel a bit more like my real face than my real face, if that makes any sense. Because I'm free to act how I want to act, and not how I'm expected to. Alessia was nodding to everything Gypsum Rose said. That's one reason, Pretty Bird affirmed, nodding. I do it for the groupies. Gypsum laughed, and Dart only issued a, heh. Yeah, so, Pretty Bird chortled. We're basically a cult, and Dart is our prophet. We're not a cult, Alessia came back, grabbing my hand for emphasis. Well, it's more sensible than believing in an imaginary sky daddy like some of the who-mens do, Pretty Bird laughed. Now, if you'll excuse me, my Twitch stream needs me, poor thing. When Pretty Bird left, Dart turned to me. Will you come for a walk with us, Caden? I really do have to do my homework, I said. Ah, damn that homework, he said with an audible smile in his sandy, calm voice. Well, he said, we're only going down the hill and back. You're welcome to come, but I understand if you have too much homework. He was getting up, and the others followed his lead. I got up and stood aside with my hands in my pockets, staring at my feet and trying to decide. More than anything, I was worried about walking down the street and being seen with them. Gypsum came around the table and took my hand into her two gloves the color of radioactive beets, and said, Will you come? Homework can wait, Daphne the cow said. Mine always waits. Until the cow comes home. So you're in high school too? I wondered. But she didn't answer. Come along, dear, Gypsum said, and she hooked my arm in hers and pulled me along. Dart was already heading toward the street, with Alessia shadowing him. Okay, I said. As we went down the street toward the roundabout, I said to Gypsum, who still had my arm, 
I'm trying to imagine who you all are underneath. Don't bother, she said. Her big pupils and irises seemed to be looking at me sideways out of the neon fur. We're people, she shrugged. Just people. We're way more fun this way, she said. But tell me about you. Are you in high school? Well, I'm boring, I said. But yes, we just moved here. It's my first year at Yosemite. Do you go to Yosemite? They don't allow dragon coyotes in school, she told me, a coy smile in her voice. Against fire code. Besides, what wisdom can a 30-something teacher from the suburbs teach a 5,000-year-old dragon, huh? What sort of wisdom does a 5,000-year-old dragon possess, then, I quizzed her. Ah, she stalled. Don't trust the flower in Undertale. Also, Supernatural really should have stopped about ten or so seasons ago at this point. Mmm. A Sergal is just as likely to eat as to rape you, and maybe both at the same time. I see, I said. Okay, so maybe age doesn't equal wisdom, but you cannot contest that age has to equal beauty. I mean, look at me, right? I tilted my head thoughtfully. Well, I cannot argue with that. I've, uh, never seen a dragon coyote more beautiful. She unlinked her arm and pressed both of her paws against her cheeks. Did you hear that? He thinks I'm beautiful. She called ahead to the others. She ran in circles around the whole group a couple of times. Dart stopped and let me catch up to him. Are we the weirdest thing you've ever seen? He asked me. His tone was serious. I shrugged. With an apologetic smile, I whispered. Maybe. <laughs> Close. Dart looked ahead over the city. Well, I say weird instead, are all these. He waved his paw over the view. Stick-built boxes full of miserable people who pretend to love it so direly that they fool themselves to believe it, to the point that when you threaten that life they hate, they defend it with everything they've got. He leveled his eyes at me. We do what we want. Is that why you do this? I asked him. He thought a long time before answering, and I felt awkward in the silence. I almost changed the subject. You know, this is nothing new, he began slowly. Since the first cave paintings, people have dreamed of anthropomorphic animal personas. The gods of ancient Egypt, the Minotaur, St. Christopher the dog-headed, werewolves, Fintan who escaped the world by leaping into the river and becoming a salmon. When I put on the fur and became comfortable in it, I realized maybe I was someone else before I was Dart. That is, a regular old person. But even before that, I was. And this is what I am meant to be. When we reached the bottom of the hill, we turned around and came back. We were passing a neighborhood of trailer homes when I heard Alessia say to Dart in a low voice, Should we visit Ruthie? Dart looked at the royal blue mobile home that we were passing that was behind a chain-link fence. There was a big van in the driveway, 
I was thinking that very thing, he told her. He turned to me. Would you like to come in with us? We are going to visit a friend. We won't be long, but I understand if you must go. I nodded, nervously, that I would come along. He held open the gate. I went through and stepped aside so that I would not be the first at the door. All of us were crowded on the stoop behind Dart. He knocked and we waited. I thought how silly this stoop must have looked from the cars passing on the street. Good evening, Sue, I heard Dart say. A large forty-something of a woman had cracked the door. Seeing Dart, she threw it open. Break out at the pound tonight, she joked and let us in. Ruthie's in her chair. I followed the furries into the living room. There were two young men on a tattered reclining couch and an old woman and a lazy boy, wearing a premature Christmas sweater. The house smelled like cleaners and mothballs, and cigarette smell emanated from the sweater of the woman who had answered the door. One of the men made an inarticulate sound, but was clearly getting excited to see the furs. The woman, however, barely looked up. Her head was shaky. The man from the couch stood and started hugging each of the furries in turn, who spoke to him in loud, cheery voices. Meanwhile, Dart got down on his haunches beside the woman in the chair. Her gray eyes fixed on him as he touched her onion-skin forearm. Her hair, so gray it was almost blue, was in a bowl cut. With her other hand, she pet the fur of his glove. How are you, Ruthie? he said. By this time, the man from the couch had made it to me, and I got a big hug. Hey, I know you, he bellowed. You, uh... This is Caden, Gypsum told him. Caden, this is Trent. Good to meet you, I said. Yeah, I, 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 he said. I, uh, don't know. You don't know, I parroted. Sue had gone into the kitchen and sat alone at the dining table. Trent broke off our already broken conversation suddenly. Effusive gypsum had his attention. I had a moment to look around the house. On the fridge, which sat right at the edge of the living room, there was a chore schedule with five names plus staff. A box of rubber medical gloves sat on a locking file cabinet by the dining table. A first aid kit sat on top of the cabinet, too. When my eyes fell on Ruthie again, there was a wide, toothy smile. Dart leaned over her and gave her a hug. My, you are looking good, Ruthie, he told her. It was a cheerier, more exuberant voice than he used among the furries. How old are you again, dear? Twenty-four? My, my. No, not a day over. Ruthie could not answer. She gurgled. Daphne Boos knelt on the other side of her chair and began asking her how she was. Ruthie raised a shaking hand to pat Daphne on her colorful mohawk. Dart met my eyes and motioned to me. I knelt in front of Ruthie. Her ghost-colored eyes flitted over me. Ruthie, Dart said. This is our new friend, Caden. Hi, Ruthie, I said. I like your sweater. (laughs) 
On our way back to Oak Heights, we sat down at the park bench again. It was dark now, and I was aware that I had missed dinner and would have to explain it. Now I really, really need to do homework, I told Dart. Hey, Caden, Gypsum Rose interrupted. If you were an animal, what animal would you be? Um, I stalled. I thought and I didn't know. Maybe a dog? No, I don't know. Are you, are you trying to make a furry out of me? I laughed. Maybe, Gypsum said. I can tell you have a furry heart, she told me. That sounds like a reason to see a doctor, Daphne joked. No. I couldn't, I said, shaking my head. I'm not brave as you all. I couldn't take the, uh, the... I stopped. The judgment? Gypsum wondered. Dart and Alessia were sitting next to each other, the same as they were before. I was looking at them, and they noticed me, so I felt like I had to say something. You two seem close, I said. Are you, like, uh... Hmm, Dart toned. Uh, you two, like, a thing? God, I probably shouldn't just ask that. I'm sorry, I'm so awkward. No, it's fine, Dart said quickly. What, because we are both foxes? No. It's more like Alessia is my sister. Oh, I said. In real life? Which real life, he countered. Huh, I don't know, either one. No, Alessia broke in. We're blood as foxes, and we're all one tribe here, regardless of species. Amen, first sister, Gypsum chimed in. When I wandered into the house, my mom wasn't happy that I missed dinner. But it was my dad who asked me, perfectly calmly, So where have you been? On a walk, I told him. My mother suddenly broke into a smile. She asked, Alone? She so wanted me to find friends at school. Um, no, I said. That was a long walk, my dad said, scrolling on his iPad. So who were you with? Drug dealers, I said. In my imagination. That would easier find its way out of my mouth than furries. Convicts, white supremacists, child molesters, car salesmen, professional lobbyists, whatever. Furries sounded so silly and juvenile, again now that I was under my parents' interrogation. I took a breath. I met the furry kids, I told them. Silence ensued. Well, my dad said. Well, what? I returned. You met them, he said. Like, you introduced yourself and they introduced themselves? Yeah, I said, sensing the trap. Well, did they sniff your butt? I mean, that's how dogs do it if they're going for authentic. Oh, Paul, my mother said. I saw the furries after school most days, and sometimes I would hang out with them, usually at the park. They liked to play frisbee or dance to EDM on someone's phone, or to play a game at the picnic table. One weekend, they wore their fursuits down to the grocery store to do a canned food drive for the food bank. 
Dart invited me, but I didn't go. The group was fairly constant. Only Wayland, Pretty Bird, was come and go. Gypsum explained to me once while we were on the swing set. He's kind of checked out. He was big time into it for a while, but I get the feeling it was just a phase for him. He'd rather be fighting with ten-year-olds on the internet now. As I spent more time out in the neighborhood, my parents, I think, vacillated a bit on how comfortable they were with me hanging out with the furries. When I didn't ask for a fursuit for Christmas, I think I heard a sigh of relief. You know, my dad said across the dinner roast. Gary McKinnon down the street says he googled it and is convinced that these, uh, furries are a bunch of sexual deviants. He shrugged. I googled it and I didn't find anything I thought was all that concerning, but he trailed off. Honey, my mom said to me. So what are these new friends' names? Uh, I stalled. Well, there's Daphne and Wayland and uh, Gypsum and Alessia uh, and Dart. She looked at me for a moment. No, I mean like their real names, hon. I don't know them. I tried to say it as confidently as I could, but my dad wasn't going to let that slide. His fork stopped. You don't know, he wondered. What do you mean you don't know their names? You've been seeing these people for over a month now. I shrugged. It's not important. They have names. This, this, he said, groping for one of the names. Dart could easily be a 40-year-old convicted pedophile under that mask, and you'd never know it. I doubt that, Dad, I said. There is one in this neighborhood. I checked online, he said. You need to find out who your friends really are and whether you can trust them. I know I can trust them, I thought. What are their birth faces but other masks, or their birth names but their first aliases? After the can drive, the furries were planning to do free hugs at the city park for Valentine's Day. It was about this time that I took a walk along the ravine with Dart in the evening. I've been thinking about my fursona, I said. Dart turned to me. Oh? he prompted. Yeah, I, uh, I've been thinking about it, you know. I'll show you a sketch when it's done. That's splendid, he said. Guess which species, I told him. Uh, do I get a hint? It has fur. And legs, either two or four. Helpful, he said. Dog? Nope. Jeez. Uh, is it a feline? You know me better than that. Gazelle. A gazelle, I cried, outraged. Why the heck a gazelle? <laughs> Something that embodies your poison elegance, he said. I don't know. Tell me. No, I said. Not until I'm done with the drawing. Hey, can I ask you how much your fursuit cost? Is that rude? You don't have to tell me. I'm just curious. It cost me everything, he said. When he didn't elaborate, I forced him to. What do you mean? Well, he answered. Everything I was passed away so that everything I am could be. In a sense. So, in a sense, it cost me everything. I was thinking more along the lines of a dollar amount, you know, for the actual purchase. 
Hmm, he toned. Do you have a name? What? Oh, yes, well, maybe. It comes out with the drawing. I see, he said. We went in silence for a while. It was cool and the city sparkled in front of us, filling up the valley. Two lights, like pinpoint eyes, blinked on the hill at the far side of town. I can't decide whether I want to ask you who you are under the suit. I'm sorry if you're offended that I don't seem interested in who you are behind the mask. It's just, I, I don't know. It's okay, he interrupted. Are you sure? It's just, heck, it's not that I'm not interested in knowing, but I, I, I feel like I know you. This you. Does that make... Look, he said. Who are you walking with? Dart Silver Fox? Yes, precisely, he said. I am who I am. He shrugged. Do you feel like you're missing something without another persona here? No, not at all, I told him. We had stopped and faced each other. Then I will not bother being anyone else, he said with a shrug. If Dart Silver Fox is enough. I love Dart Silver Fox, I blurted. Hmm, he toned. And turning to walk, he took my hand in his paw and we continued on the path. Am, am, I stuttered. Am I enough? I mean, as I am, just a pasty face, hairless mole rat? (laughs) Like Gypsum said, he told me. You've got a furry heart, and we laughed. Could you tell when you first saw me? I think so, was his answer. When we had gone a while hand in hand, I started to think about not knowing who was under the costume, and I let it bother me. I got a little scared and wanted to let go, but I didn't want him to know what I was thinking, so I decided I would try to steal his glove. I yanked at his paw. Yay! He said, and it didn't budge. As he started to say, What was that for? I frantically felt up his wrist for the seam, and, not finding it, continued up his arm all the way to the sleeve. My hands dropped to my sides and I took a step back. How? I started. How do you get in that thing? I am what I am now, he said. He held his paws together in something like a gesture of prayer and appeared to think. I also was thinking hard. Was there just one big zipper in the back? There had to be, of course. When I became Dart, he said. I mean, when I really became him, sometime after I first put on the fursuit. Well, it's like this. I take it as the universe telling me this is what it wants me to be. What it needs me to be. And so I am. No use in fighting against that. The others, are they? He shook his head no. Do they know? No, he said. Fluff butts, move out, Gypsum Rose commanded at the top of the knoll, pointing her paw out over the city park. Be cute, get hugs, she called as they all began to run and awkwardly, because of their digitigrade fur boots, down the hill, clutching their free hugs signs. I was partway down the hill with Gypsum's DSLR, 
filming them run past me and into the park. It was Saturday late in the morning, and there was a fair number of people in the park. The first taker of a free hug was a jogger who turned off the path for Alessia, whose big sandfox ears wobbled as she embraced the lean forty-something woman. Dart got hugs from a young couple that had been on a blanket by the creek. Pretty Bird wandered along the road, showing his sign to people coming into the park. Gypsum and Daphne were moving fast. They had already reached the playground and were getting hugs from kids and parents alike. There was one parent who crossed his arms on the bench under a tree and did not get up. It was Gary McKinnon from our neighborhood, the one convinced that furries are a sex fetish due to some unfortunate googling, who must have been there with his family. He scowled at Gypsum and Daphne, and they ignored him, but Mr. McKinnon watched them the whole time throughout their harvest of hugs. The police showed up at noon. Gypsum and Daphne met them, and the cops made it clear that they were there for business, not hugs. Seeing this, Dart and I came up to talk with them, too. We've had a complaint, was all that the male officer had to say to make me crane my head towards Mr. McKinnon, whose ire had now mutated into smugness, I'm sure, by pure coincidence. We got a call that someone saw someone in a costume possibly touching children inappropriately. That is nonsense, Gypsum said, a little too loud. We're giving free hugs, kids, adults, anybody. There's nothing, nothing inappropriate going on here. Okay, okay, the officer said. Listen, I understand, but there's been a complaint. So it would be best if the free hugs end now. I believe what you're doing is completely innocent. All I can tell you is there's someone here uncomfortable letting you hug his kid and we got to respect that. That's not a problem, Dart told him. I like your costumes, the female officer spoke up. I think that when Mr. McKinnon saw that things were not going quite like he expected, he decided to walk up behind us. Did you call in? The male officer asked him directly. McKinnon nodded. I saw this one, he nodded at Dart. Embrace about twenty kids, and every time he put a a paw on the kid's rear end. Now tell me, what kind of person goes to a free hug thing at the park to do that? The officer looked at Dart. Is that right? Alessia made her way over to us. Dart replied calmly. That was not my intention. I've researched these people, Gary McKinnon erupted. Just look up furry online. Do an image search if you're brave enough. I mean, who is this? He indicated Dart. Beneath the mask. And I bet there are people who lure children with the funny animal costumes to get their kicks. And they get to hide behind a mask the whole time. Yeah, the male officer said. I'm going to need you to remove the masks. Do you all have identification? I'm going to need to see your ID too, sir, he added, nodding at Mr. McKinnon. Dart grabbed my hand and gave it a squeeze. I looked around for Pretty Bird. He was nowhere, and I wondered if he ditched us. That's when it occurred to me. The words erupted from me almost involuntarily. I have everything on camera. I had the officer's attention, and I showed them Gypsum's camera. I've been filming all morning. 
Look, I can show you how Dart was hugging the children. You can look at the whole video if you want. It shows everything we've done. I stood between the cops and started playing back clips. All right, the male officer said, nodding. Look, he said, gazing over us. I think there's just been a misunderstanding here. But I also think it's best if you cosplayers just call it a day. We nodded. I'm not saying you have to go home, he said. But no more hugs or anything involving touching. If we get another complaint, we'll have to investigate, understand? We nodded. Gary McKinnon stormed off. As the officers turned toward their car, Daphne Boos threw open her arms. The female officer half-turned and thought for a second before taking a big furry hug. Her partner just laughed and went back to the car and got on the radio. I imagined how silly his banter with dispatch must be, responding to a call about inappropriate hugs from furries in the park. We walked up the street toward Oak Heights in subdued disgrace. Pretty Bird was still nowhere to be seen, and Gypsum was railing on him for abandoning us. Alessia took off her head. I stared in wonder. She was blonde, a young woman, maybe college age. She had a farmer's daughter kind of look to her, hard to explain. She carried her head under her arm and stared at the road. Finally, she noticed me. What is it, she said. I've never seen any of your faces before, I said, still in wonder. Slowly, a smirk crept onto her face and she chuckled. Gypsum reached up and tussled Alessia's hair, and her chuckle burst into a laugh. Well, you should see Gypsum's face sometime, Alessia, or whoever she was, said, grinning. She's the Instagram model. Two accounts, Gypsum said, holding up two furry digits. One for each face. The rumor that Dart had been touching children and the instructions to look up furries and yif on the internet spread through the neighborhood. When this started circulating among the parents, Pretty Bird, a.k.a. John Barbalus, two blocks over from us, decided to distance himself from the whole thing. He told his parents that, yes, it was a weird fetish cult. His caveat of, at least on the internet, was easily forgotten by his parents. And he was sick of being part of the culture. He was sorry he ever did the embarrassing thing of wearing a fursuit in public. Gypsum fumed, hearing this. It's possible to walk out of a room you're tired of and into a new room without taking a big old dookie in the old room first, she said. Just because he decided that it's not for him doesn't mean that he's got to make it stink for every fur. John was an oily-looking senior with a belly and a bad case of hunching shoulders draped in a greatly oversized t-shirt, and horribly socially awkward to boot. But my point isn't to be critical of him behind his back, it's just the truth. I had in fact seen him in school various times, but he had never clued me into his identity. I liked him better with his head on. So thereafter, he and Mr. McKinnon became a match made in heaven, one that would prove to be the road to hell. John became the insider for McKinnon's little crusade. About the same time, Daphne's parents banned her from hanging out with us, but she snuck out sometimes, without her fursuit for reasons of practicality. She was a high schooler, too. 
Her name was Ellie, and she went to the Lutheran school up on the hill. My parents still tolerated my friends and were supportive. My dad dealt with it in my dad's dry humor sort of way. He looked up Yiff on Gary McKinnon's suggestion, but I explained to him that it was a subculture within the subculture, and most furs were uncomfortable with the cringeworthy furry porn. Do you ever feel left out when you're with your friends because you don't have a costume? He asked me one day. I shrugged and I didn't look at him. He didn't know about my drawings, or that I had created accounts on Fur Affinity and Furry Amino. I couldn't bring myself to tell him while Gary McKinnon was doing his thing. I met Dart on the path by the ravine. It was evening. He was wearing a different t-shirt, and the conspicuous change was like a sign of the times. It had one word on it. Naysayer. I hugged him, and I felt warm and safe while his arms lingered around me, and his neck fur touched my cheek. We could see Gypsum sitting in the park under a jaundiced streetlight. I took Dart's hand, and we went to meet her. But before we arrived, a black Escalade pulled up to the park and left its headlights blinding poor Gypsum at the table. Dart squeezed my hand. Then he let go and ran toward the park, and I followed, calling after him. What's wrong? Gary McKinnon was grilling Gypsum, who was standing there, in the blasting lights with her arms crossed. We took our place beside her, and Mr. McKinnon looked us over. I want to know who you are, he said. Take off that mask. We don't have to do anything, Gypsum answered. I need to know who my daughter is hanging out with, he demanded. My jaw fell open. Daughter could only be... Fine, Gypsum spat and removed her head and tucked it under her arm. She was beautiful, though with matted hair from the head and eyeliner that had begun to smear in the sweat. She glared knives. No, not you, honey. Him, he pointed at Dart. I suspect I know exactly who you are, mister. And I am not comfortable with an older man who has an interest in young people being around my daughter or any of these kids. You are Matthew Kucinich. Dart was silent. McKinnon went on. I know you're a convicted pedophile. He is not, Gypsum countered. Prove it, Gary dared. Take off the mask. Hey, if I'm wrong, I will eat my words and leave it be. Swear to God. But I really don't think I'm wrong. I am not Matthew Kucinich. Dart finally answered. I am only what you see right now. I don't see anything right now, Mr. McKinnon growled. Mask off, or my daughter doesn't see you or your friends anymore. Dart groaned. You don't understand. I am Dart Silverfox. Enough, Gary spat, and he reached for Dart's face. Dart did not fight, but let him pull. And of course, a mask cannot budge when it is no longer a mask. Dad, stop, Gypsum pleaded, and she grappled for her father's arms. Gary McKinnon growled something between his teeth, and I don't want to believe it was what I thought I heard, because it sounded like John Barbalos told me who you are. But then again, what did Pretty Bird know? None of us knew Dart's name then. McKinnon's thumb slipped into Dart's eye and he yelped, 
What is this? I heard Gary McKinnon mumble. He pulled a pocket knife and flipped it open, and Gypsum gasped and pleaded again for him to stop. This mask is coming off, Gary growled. Whatever you say, Dart spoke, and I swear I saw his eyes go wider as Mr. McKinnon tugged a handful of neck fur and cut into it. Dart bit down on McKinnon's arm, as if a senseless reflex, and it must have hurt more than McKinnon expected because he grunted and, with a perplexed look, cut more fiercely into the mask. Gypsum was screaming. I was screaming, too. I started to see blood. I grabbed Mr. McKinnon's shoulders and pulled, but I couldn't move him. When Gary McKinnon pulled the face free, he screamed, too. Dart's eyes continued to roll, set in the pink muscles wrapped tightly to a fox's skull. He screamed and screamed and fell backward, and Dart fled into the trees. I threw away the drawing I had made. I had called the fursona Pewter, a silver-colored crow with one black marking on the forehead like an extra eye. I fancied him the student of Dart Silverfox, from whom Pewter had learned all of his wisdom, but I crumpled the sheet up and held it over the wastebasket. Dart visits me, always at night. Sometimes he stands in the corner and watches over me while I sleep. Sometimes he takes the pencil from me while I draw and writes something nice. He doesn't speak anymore. He looks at the world eyelessly through a skull framed in matted gunmetal fur. Tonight, he reaches into the trash. He puts the drawing back into my hand. story man so how's the two sentence horror story thing coming i've got the submissions do you have the pig uh right here in the what'd you call it the ark of solomon okay we've got responses from a few fellow podcasts and we've got some responses from monster baiters let's do the podcasts first mike at the horror junkies podcast at horror junkies fl on twitter writes My wife's cold feet brushed mine under the blanket. Though I've always complained about her cold feet, I will say that they were much warmer when she was alive. Huggles? Okay, here's another. Our friend Glenn at Glenn Thinks Stuff, an appropriately named podcast, at Glenn Thinks Stuff on Twitter, thought of the following. Buxby squeezed his lover's hand as they pulled up to his cabin. 
Leaning in, he kissed her deeply while noting that rigor mortis had begun. Ugh. Man, I'm noticing a theme here. Buggles? Yes. All the necrophilia would have been more appropriate to save for a Valentine's Day episode, I agree. The 8mm Podcast Network, Ireland's oddest podcast network, at 8mm Network on Twitter, who gives us Walter Kane Broken Pieces short story podcast, replied, The mystery broadcaster who guided us all the way slumped over the mic, his rotten fingers still clutching the cigarette. As he groaned and stumbled to his feet, the once true banner on the wall behind him fluttered in the dusty air, the world's last infection-free zone. Puggles? Why does he sound funny? What is it, boy? Did Timmy fall in the well? Let's try the Monsterbaiter submissions. First, some practical horror. Instagram user underscore Ostipi underscore writes, Your phone is at 5%, and your charger is at home. Ooh, the true horror is that's only one sentence. We'll never know how that cliffhanger ends. I'm betting interstellar tentacle fellatio. That's how I'd end that one. Similarly, April Hack writes, The cute guy finally texted to ask you out tonight. However, your phone is about to die and you forgot the charger. Our buddy Russell Robison writes, His mom had told him not to bring his new phone on the camping trip. Now, as he lowered his head and shoulders through the hole, hooking his feet on the rim, he held his breath and tried to fix in his mind the place he had last seen the screen's glow, among the wet paper and other, darker shapes below. Man, where is the filth liquor when you need him? Next, we have a couple meditations on death. You know, the kind of things that would make great Hallmark cards. Brandy Hollis writes, She looked down at the empty grave, rain pouring down. This is where she would be buried tomorrow. Love the simplicity. Sometimes less is definitely more. Especially when it comes to corporeal decay. The next comes from Monsterbaiter Ellie Yates. Cass lay silently in her bed, her heavy lids closed. The blade wedged in her chest glistened with her scarlet red blood. I love all the delicious description words in there. You even managed to make literary criticism creepy. Thank you. And lastly, we have the supernatural. Francis Burns writes, The thing crawled awkwardly on hands and feet, a disturbing caricature of humanity topped with a hairless goat's head and forelimbs. It bleated at me. I should have listened to the elders and left the book alone. That one actually made me shiver a little bit. Because you are weak of character. 
but what a terribly beautiful submission. And before anyone writes us who noticed that it sounded like three sentences, Francis gamed the system with a semicolon. We applaud the way you think, Francis. Next. Adelheit Renee Wheeler writes, I finally grabbed the demon dummy by his hair, and I swear it felt real. And when I threw it out the door, my voice was dark, as if from hell. At least we know it's not you she's calling a dummy. The thing had hair. Perhaps. But the dummy who does have hair is about to be thrown out the door. Monster baiter James McGovern writes, My younger sister crawled towards me on all fours. My sister died ten years ago due to suicide. And her note blamed me. Oh, man, that's heavy. Hopefully that wasn't a case of write what you know. Finally, Sammy Bessa, another competent semicolon user, gives us the following. Her body was jittery with caffeine that she kept drinking. She couldn't afford to fall asleep. The last time she slept, the creatures from her nightmares came to life and tore her parents to shreds. Still, slumber beckoned. I hate when that happens. Nice. I can't believe we got all these good submissions. Puggles, what do you think? It's like he's trying to say something. I guess he's always spoken through one of us before. Stupid human flesh wands! Oh god. He can speak. I have mastered the swine flesh's inadequate vocal cords because you twits no longer no longer want to make good pets and play along with the fun. Your fun is the desolation of worlds. Your point, monkey meat sack? Actually, uh, humans are African apes, not monkeys. Sorry, pet peeve of mine. Shut up, human! You monkey baiters are the chosen ones to engender monster porn in this world, and you shall not discard me like yesterday's crocs! Like yesterday's crocs? Who the fuck wears them anymore? It's a good turn of phrase. Hear this! No! You hear this, pork chop. We want to know what you get out of this podcast. Wouldn't you like to know? Yes! That's what I just said. Well, look at that. What? We're out of time. Monster Porn is a production of Warped Box Media. Today's story was written by Brett Music on him, too. You're not getting off that easily. No. I'm not. I don't get off easily at all. As your moms have already discovered. I'm killing him.
Monster Porn Podcast. The Pugalocalypse begins. Welcome to Monster Porn, Weird Fiction and Horror Podcast, the podcast that's going to Midwest Fur Fest and bringing the Velcro gloves. Too much? It's possible to walk out of a room you're tired of and into a new room without taking a big old dookie in the... Fuck. (laughs) Yeah, so... Pretty bird chortled. We're basically a cult and dort... Dort. Like a Tide commercial. White P-fabric... (laughs) P-fabricated. And then we read them in front of Puggles and see what he does. I'm sorry, I got distracted by your belly gurgling. (laughs) (laughs) See, it's loud. I was like, did that pick up on the mic? (laughs) Then we read them in front of Puggles. What was that? (laughs) My my computer wants us to know it's Labor Day tomorrow. (laughs) We should not be working. 